Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who, me or you? Mm, you say it. Welcome to Script Shop. No, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Yes, hi folks. Welcome to our podcast. It's called Script Shop. Hi, my name's Jack. Hi, my name's Allison. And we've got Frank here with <gasps> us today. What? <laughs> <laughs> Putting him on the spot. Uh, Frank's a very busy man, of Frank course. Frank is a busy guy. Getting, getting paid and making that dough. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, good. Yes, please. Add to the, add to the add mix to the, here, Frank. Let us know what we're missing. <laughs> That's about it. Hi, everybody. This is our podcast where we talk to uh, screenwriters about their scripts and the screenplays that they've written. And why they wrote them and what it means to them and why they're the only person in the history of all of the universe and time that could have possibly written this script I like to know why this person wrote this particular story, and we really dive into that on this show. Yes, we do. And I was making it very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> you went like full Garden of Good and Evil, Southern Gentleman it was, it was weird. <laughs> but I'm into it. If that's where I'm going, I'm going to hop on that train and ride it all the way because, again, we love talking to screenwriters, and we love hearing all the crazy, wacky stories that come out of people. If you listen to the show, you know we've gotten into a lot of different stuff. Yes. And uh, that's what makes us keep going, those yeah. stories, that conversation. The time spent together here in the studio with mm -hmm. friends. Yes, that's exactly right. And in terms of embracing weirdness and running with weirdness, yeah, that's uh, something we enjoy doing a lot on this show. If you want to connect with us uh, because of some shared weirdness that uh, you may have with us, or if you've heard a show that you really like and you want to comment on it or uh, retweet it and let anybody else know about it, please, you can find us. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Script Shop Show on any of those uh, websites. And uh, then you can, uh, I don't know, be friends with us and be part of the action. And if you would like to submit a script and maybe be a little bit more intimately part of the action, you can do that at scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Um, on the website, there's also some information on all of the writers, so if you're looking to get a little bit more info about a story you've heard on the show, you can hop on there. Excuse me. I just I literally you're just cool. burped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a professional podcast, folks. <laughs> it's the Dr. Pepper I'm sipping. <laughs> I, now I just want to do little slurps throughout the whole episode, but I'm not going to do that because that's disgusting. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah. Don't well, go to the website, look up information on the artist, and uh, don't burp into the microphone on your own show. You know, something else that we've got coming up soon, since uh, I think the way the timing on this is going to work out, it's going to be very close to the time of the Independent Film Festival, of which Script Shop is a uh, major part of. We're going to be handling screenplay reads again, and of course, this is uh, this is your big baby that's uh, coming around all over again. Do we think this is baby one or baby two? The, well, it's baby three, I suppose, technically, if we're mixing, like, metaphorical children with, with actual children, physical children. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to say because it's like, oh, announcement, I'm pregnant again. So, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so it's baby four? No, it's three because I only have one child plus the film festival, and then this next real baby would be baby three. Yeah, I'm just sort of counting, like, each festival being its own oh. being its own creation. Well, I don't think or about it. Or script shop being its own. Well, script shop, is, makes a point there script shop isn't as hard as children or festivals, though. No. Script shop's like us bullshitting and emailing each other, mm. you know? 
and talking to our writers. Well, hey, congratulations, Thanks. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank the you. Actual info. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're very happy, very surprised, but, you know, preparing ourselves. I think Baby Number One's the festival because it was the one that kind of, like, started first. Then Olive would be Baby Two. Uh-huh. I don't like the way this is feeling now. Though. Yeah, I, I'm not. I gotta crazy. make all of baby one festival two, and then we'll see where baby number three. We don't really need fits. to. We don't really need to, to rank them. They children. can all just be children. <laughs> yeah, cool. That's a good idea. In the eyes of the Lord, yeah, let's we're do all that. just children. Let's do that. Yeah, I got three kids. Uh, a festival and two kids, one on the way. Frank, we have done such a good job. I, I don't need to brag, but w- when you have been absent, we've done a really good job of making sure that we hit all the things that we need to hit. And now that you're here, I feel like we're completely floundering. Uh, what else do we need to use? Well, Patreon. Oh, got to talk about those yeah, reenies. Reenies and Roonies, for sure. <laughs> if you have any reenies or Roonies weighing down your pockets. That's Allison's way of saying money, money. by the way. Yeah. When you hear the word reenie, what do you picture? I don't know. I, I, I think I picture a, a can of SpaghettiOs. Uh, really? Well, like beefaroni. I don't get paid uh, in roadies. <laughs> <laughs> or rice aroni for San Francisco treats. I think about like copper coins, like thick copper coins for uh-huh. some reason. Okay. So it's everybody's got like pockets full of copper coins that they need to unload. And you can give those to us on Patreon.com. We would appreciate that very much. We're on there again. Script Shop Show. Look it up. Uh, we're all over the place on the, uh, on the Internet, and you can find us there. Our guest for this week's show, whom we are about to speak to, is Marty King Young, who wrote a short script called The Governor's Ball. Right. It's a 23-page page of missile family dinner feud <laughs> yes, it, is. it explodes yeah everything blows up it's awesome yeah, it does. yeah and we're excited about talking to her about the dynamism of this and how everything came together and where it came from yes so we should probably uh get her on the without line without further ado hi marty hi how are you great how are you doing wonderful marty thanks for coming on the show Absolutely. And congrats on the baby. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Very big. <laughs> oh, the scripts I could write about babies. Oh, my gosh. Really? Do you, Do you have, kids? have kids? Oh, I've got three. Yes. Yeah, congratulations. Well, tell us more about them. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, my oldest, he's 25, and he works in um, the industry. He's a PA working on his DGA hours. My daughter is 22, and she is working, she's an actress and trying to, you know, make it big. And then my, my youngest is 19 and he's on the autism spectrum. And we actually did a movie with him and it's traveling mm. festivals right now. Oh. It's called the adventures of wonder boy. Holy oh. cow. That's awesome. That's yeah. really sweet. Why, why do you, why do you say you could just write, you know, let's say pages and pages and pages about babies. Oh my gosh. But I used to um, own a talent agency with a friend and we dealt with helicopter parents oh, and we right. dealt with lots of kids and um, I used to teach little kids gymnastics, and I always I was a a teacher for the um, for churches, you know. Wow. So I've got tons of yeah, kids and parents. I'm I'm used to drama. Let's just say that. As, <laughs> as far as the talent thing goes, and the, you know, parents doing the helicopter thing, it there's a weird line on that, right? Because I mean, if the kids are having fun, that's okay. But it, you know, it probably wasn't their idea maybe to get into it in the first place, right? Oh yeah, there was. I was doing a casting once, and this little girl came in, and her mother. We we make the parents stay outside when they would come in to be cast because I want to actually talk to the kids and not the parents. Yeah. Right. And um, the little girl just started crying, and she said oh. she just wanted to swim. So oh. I went outside, and I was like, "You need to get in touch with your child. <laughs> you are making them miserable." Oh, oh, good for you. God, how do you have that conversation though? Holy cow! Yeah, what happened in that moment? I mean, well, the mom was like, no, she really, really wants it. And I was like, mm, she really, really doesn't. And she's scared to tell you. Oh, so I'm telling you because 
you need to know, you know, you either, you can have a kid that can, she's, she is really good. You can either have a kid that doesn't really like you, or you can have a kid and just enjoy the moments and let her be a kid. So, I mean, that's your decision. And I'm just going to leave that on your plate. We're not going to cast her because I know she would be miserable. Yeah. Oh, so. that was smart of you guys to like talk to the kids actually. Yeah. Separately. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. <laughs> so this other movie that you got about your, uh, that it's starring your youngest son or about your youngest the son. Avengers the Wonder Boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He actually came to me when he was 16. Well, he created this He created this character when he was 12 to help him sort of understand the world. And uh, when he was 16, he said he wanted to make a film. And so um, I hooked up with uh, my friend Alan Brazel, and we came up with this. And Elijah, that's my son, he actually wrote it. I sort of tweaked it with him. And then it, we, we filmed it over a period of four months um, on weekends and with Lots of favors called in and everything, and he wanted Marvel-esque type special effects yeah. and all of that. And uh, three years later, it's traveling, and it's doing mm-hmm. actually really well. Mm-hmm. It's done really well overseas, too. It's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, seriously. That's amazing. Maybe you guys should submit it to Independent next year because we would love to see stories about yes, please. You know, just all kinds of different perspectives. It would be wonderful to have. You know, that being said, all three of your kids are, they've got their hands in the industry. So I'm assuming that they grew up with you doing lots of industry work? Question mark? (laughs) Tell us about your work. Um, Well, besides me writing, I also direct and produce. And um, so they've pretty much all grown up on movie sets and and um, seeing me direct, and they've been my little free PAs, really, poor kids. <laughs> Are you like, uh, right, you've produced and directed uh, your own stuff, some studio stuff, some indie stuff? My own stuff, and then um, a couple of things that my friends have done. I currently um, am working as a producer's assistant, so I've worked on an ABC series for the producer Michael Pendle, and then um, I was also... Um, Dave Neustadter, Victoria Palmieri, and James Wan's assistant on Annabelle Comes Home. Yeah. And, and um, I'm working on a third one right now, and I can't share what movie that is because of lots of big lawyers. Mm-hmm. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm currently working as that. That's sort of like my side hustle, I guess, because I'm really a director, and I really, uh, I'm just learning. I'm just sort of like a sponge right now and watching how bigger things happen and what to do and what not to do and learning um, from different from observing different departments and how, you know, just the, the, the way that things work from television versus film and everything like that. Collecting a lot of information. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's what film school never teaches you. I would imagine networking like crazy, too. You're, you've, you're interacting oh, yeah. in all these different departments and with all these different kinds of people. You're, you're building this incredible network. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So <laughs> did you go to film school? Well, I was working at Vanderbilt University, and I found out that you could audit classes there. So while I was um, in charge of an office, I audited every single film class that was there. So I walked away with a film degree, but for free. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't have to pay Vandy, what, $80,000 a year or whatever it is. Yeah. Wow. You know, but I can't sit there and say I actually have the degree. Right. But you did every single course available. And you got everything in your head, yeah. Yeah, I have the smarticles. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then a funny you, word. you use that to start to just making your own stuff and start writing? Yeah, my um, my screenwriting teacher there, Will Akers, 
he said, he really liked my writing and he said, you know, you kind of get it. I think you're a director. And at the time I just wanted to write stuff and just walk away. And he goes, no, I'm going to put you in this film festival. And I didn't know that 24 hour film festivals were a thing. I didn't even know 48 hour film festivals were a thing at that time. And so I did it and about killed myself, but mm-hmm. I, and I actually wind up um, winning for my division and he goes, yeah, you're a, you're a director. So you need to keep doing this. This is what you need to do. And so um, I said, okay. So he started hooking me up with people that were working in the industry and started networking that way. And I started picking up gigs. And at the time I was, um, I was a licensed EMT and my husband's a paramedic and uh, it came time for me to renew my license. And he said, you need that so you can fall back on it. And when he said that, I said, uh, nope. And I tore it up and threw it away. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't want to look back at anything mm-hmm. and freaked him out, but <laughs> it's just propelled me forward. And so I just keep, I keep moving on forward and just That's keep working. And, yeah. I'm tearing this up. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Someone's yeah, choking. Much. Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I was like, he was like, what are you doing? And I said, I, I, I can't go back to this. And if I don't do this, I will continue to say, well, I can, I'll keep pushing things off to, so I can have a job. And some things just, you know, you just, you either stay safe or you take the risk. Yes. And I have yes. to take the risk. Yeah. Marty, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so impressed with your resume here in terms of, like, everything that you have done, are doing. Gymnastics, EMT, Talent writer, agency, writing. Running an office at a university. Yeah, filmmaking, writing, directing. It, I mean, you're doing a ton of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I I don't think I've ever just I, – I can't sit still, I guess. <laughs> what do you think it is about you that just, like, propels you forward all the time? Um, I – I just want to, you know, I, I have all these friends from high school and I look at them and some of them are just spinning their wheels. And I had this one and she said, um, and this is before I really got into film. And she said, of all my friends to disappoint me, you're the biggest disappointment <gasps> because I thought for sure you were going to Broadway and you were going to do all this stuff. And I was oh, like, okay. yeah, but I got all my kids out of the way, you know, <laughs> so now I can really focus. Did you start that conversation well, with, first of all, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much what I was just like, Oh wow, that's really interesting for you to tell me that, but you know, whatever. So, um, I just, uh, I just have this mentality of, um, this is my life and I'm going to live it. And if life comes up and tries to sucker punch me, I'm going to turn around and just roundhouse kick yeah. it back in the face. Yes. I tell my life how it's going to be. It doesn't dictate it to me. And, um, I had a choir teacher who just pummeled into us. Um, that your attitude is everything and your attitude will frame everything, no matter good or bad that comes your way. And so that really just sort of stuck with me. And I just, I just keep pushing on, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm just blessed. I guess. Yeah. But you know, the thing too, is like, everybody understands that life, the life you imagine having when you're 17, 18, 22, 24, 25, et cetera, there's a lot that happens in between and you've got to be able to roll and reshape and find yourself within all of this new information you might have about what your life is going to be. So roundhouse kicking things this way and that way and forward and backwards based on what you need to do. Yeah. Way to go. You you seem to be doing just (laughs) fine. Thank you. you. (laughs) My kids, we we would fall on like hard times and I'd be like, you will, we will fall on hard times, but we will always get back up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I, I, and I know that they're watching me. So everything I do, I do very deliberately. Like 
I tore up the, my tore up my license. They watched, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like, this is the way things are going to be. This is how you make a life decision, children. You take the paper and you go rip, rip, rip. Then you let it on fire and throw it in the air. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just a journey and I just, I just, I know that they're watching me walk it out. So I just watch how I walk it out. Yeah. Well, you sound like a great mother. Yeah. I'm going to start texting you for parenting tips. I'm sure they will will probably say otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wanted to ask, you said you were at Vanderbilt, which is in Tennessee. Now, are you calling us from Tennessee? No, I I am calling you from my temporary apartment in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. My husband and I bought a a house in a suburb here because we're moving here because this is where more work is. Yeah, the film industry's really taken off in Georgia over the last what five years, five ten years or so. Yeah, 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 it's doing great. I have doing great. I have friends from Chicago who have been moving down to Georgia mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of the work. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. a, a lot of times they would say that they they book something on like a series and then they couldn't work on stuff like that and they would just kind of like fall out of the market in Aww. Chicago for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, Marty, as far as your writing goes, uh, let's talk about how your writing has developed since you were auditing the classes at Vandy and then started working on your own stuff. You, you sent us a script called Governor's Ball, which is a very a sort of specific story about a political family that blows up in a very literal way. Lots of history. Is this, is this script that you sent us in keeping with other writing you've done, or is this a bit of an outlier? Um, well, I... It's sort of like a hard thing. I'm a genre jumper. Okay. I found that out. My my um my teacher he would start giving me like all these different assignments, and I would just rise to the occasion because I'm just an overachiever, I guess. And um, I would just he would be like, okay, so you you can you can do this. You're you're you know you're really good at, at this. So I went and I um. I went on a writer's retreat with Jacob Kruger out in in Costa Rica. So for ten days, it was like nothing but writing you know, um, out in a hut that had iguanas falling off Ugh. of the roof next to you fighting with other iguanas. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> it was definitely an adventure. Yeah. I will say that. But uh, one of the assignments that he gave was um, for us to go into write. He gave us a theme and he said, go and write six to eight pages. And I went to him and I said, uh, what if I write more than that? And he goes, well, I'll be really surprised if you can get that done. Has he met you? <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was like it was 5 o'clock in the evening and or the next class was at 8 o'clock the next day. And yeah. usually everybody would go out and party at night or something. I never did anything until the very last day because I was always – I like – I'm a sponge and I just kept working. And so I said, okay. So the day of, I think I had written – but by the time we came to the class, he did mine last because I had like 15 pages and um, everybody laughed at the right spot and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And he said that was pretty impressive. And one of the ladies was said, um, it takes me like four months just to write five pages. And I said, well, I'm sorry. And Jake was like, no, you're fast and you're good. And that's going to be what gets you jobs. So yeah. that's a good thing. And I think what um, has really cultivated that is the fact that as a mother of three kids, um, I don't have the luxury of blocking out two hours at a time to sit in front of a computer. So while I'm fixing dinner and doing laundry, I'm riding in my head. And when I'm driving in the car, I'm riding in my head. So when I sit down and I have 12 minutes before the rolls are ready, (laughs) I sit down and I can literally vomit out like 20 pages. Mm -hmm. And so the governor's ball, I wrote that in a period of about 90 minutes one day. And, um, yeah, 
Wow. And so I just, I think I've just conditioned myself that whenever I sit in front of the computer to write, I am going to write. Yeah. If that makes any sense at all. And yeah. it's pretty much in final form. Um, but I'll, I'll, I will, I will say this when I remember I finish a script, I'll throw it into a drawer and I'll work on something else for about three or four months and come back to it. And then I'll see gaping plot bunnies or something mm-hmm. like that, that I don't like, or dialogue that I don't like, or I will, I keep an, an overheard dialogue journal. So if I find something, Oh, that would really grow great in here. You know, I'll, I'll go back in and I'll tweak it a little bit, but pretty much everything is, I've never really had to do a major overhaul on anything other than um, a true crime feature that I had to, that I had to write. And that was just, um, that was just a difficult thing just to write though. Cause it was true crime and it involved a child. Yikes. Yeah. In your, uh, your overheard dialogue file, have you been able to cash in the boy out of all the people I went to school with? You've disappointed me the most bit of dialogue <laughs> yet. I'm saving that. Yeah. Feature. That is going to be, um, up, you know, released. Like, it, it, I mean, I'm saving that one. I'm yeah. holding that one. It's gold. <laughs> It's going to be great. <laughs> that's that's a right bower of a card for sure. <laughs> it is. Is there it any is time bomb? Is there anybody else that um, reads your work as well? Because you know, you put it away so that you come back to it as your own second set of eyes. But I'm just curious if you have. Uh, a partner or a friend that you trust or a, uh, a peer that you'd like to take a look at some of your work as well. Yeah. Um, um, sometimes I'll send it to my friend, Cameron McCasland. He's really good with horror and um, dramas and stuff, and he'll take a look at it. Um, a lot of times I actually send out five copies to five different friends who are not in the industry. And that's because if they can read it and they come back to me with, um, question to the, the same question in the same area. So two or more, I'll know that there's an absolute hole there because I know that in order for it, anything to get made, you have to make it as easy as possible for your reader to understand it. And if, if two people come back to me with the same question or say, I don't understand this part, then I know that there's a hole there that I need to fix. Um, and I pick people who are not in the industry because they don't try to overanalyze it. They're just reading it for the sake of reading it. Right. And, um, and that's, that's pretty much what I do with it. So when you, so when do you think, cause you of course are a jack of all trades and you've been that way for a while, but when mm-hmm. did writing start gaining prominence in your life? When was it something that you were like, okay, I'm writing more now, or I'm going to try doing this and doing that. And how did, how did that start for you? Well, my dad had worked for NBC, and so I was sort of trucked all over the country like an army brat, and he was he was a workaholic too. So when he would say, come inside, I'll only be a few more minutes, meant we're going to be there until 3 a.m. So I sort of grew up with humming IBM computers, I mean, not computers, <laughs> typewriters, <laughs> old, old school. So I started writing then, and then in high school, I was a really good writer with, you know, creative writing and things like that. And then... um I started entering short stories into contests and they were winning. So it's already, it's been practiced. Yeah, it it has been. And then I just was like, I was watching some movies with my kids and I was like, God, I mean, I could write so much better than, you know, this is just so cliche, you know, it's just like, and so one of the kids said, well, why don't you? And I was like, well, challenge accepted. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, I was like, that's a great idea. Why didn't it come to me? So I, I guess I have to, uh, attribute any success to my wonderful three children. Hmm. <laughs> That's outstanding. They're lucky kids. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and I it, think so. Thank you. You're welcome. And it sounds like your kids are maybe a little more better raised, a little better raised than the adult kids that are in the script that you sent us because yeah. this uh, script, The Governor's Ball, is just full of a, a, a very – a uh, powerful and wealthy family that is just completely falling apart before uh, before everybody's eyes. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. so where did this story come from? I was watching a. Um, I'm trying to think because I've been pondering this. <laughs> um, I was watching a show and I can't remember the name of it. It was like on the History Channel. It was old. It was an old historical family, and it was just like. I don't know. I think maybe it had to do with some Amish people. Anyway, it was some weird hierarchy thing going on. And I was just like, wow, that's just really crazy that people act like that. And then I thought, well, people act like that today. And I was like, well, I wonder if I could just write a script about this crazy thing. And I thought, well, what would be the most dysfunctional thing? I was like, get togethers, family get togethers are always the most dysfunctional things because somebody always does something. And um, I just thought, well, how could I amp that up? How could it, you know, and I thought, who's the fakest family around? And I was like, well, politicians. <laughs> so um, I started doing that. And then um, I had written a first draft and I thought, oh, I've got to add some more drama. So I just kept amping it up with every um, with every draft that I did. And I was uh, I, I will say that um, Amanda, the the daughter, she's based slightly on my daughter in the way that she handles herself. <laughs> OK, <laughs> so she's definitely in that. Um my, um, I had seen a lady at a cheesecake factory get just sloshed drunk. So that's where Starla came from. Uh-huh. Um, I had seen, um, just, a um, I was at a, an event I, I worked on, um, I worked on this thing called the circus one and it was, uh, on HBO and the it was political about, show. yeah, yeah, yeah. We followed around Donald Trump and it was before he became president, I think. Or maybe it was right after. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but there was this guy who just kept running in and out, like, with messages. And I was like, okay, so there's Steven. You know, it's just just things that I've observed, and I just sort of plugged him into different people. And then uh, Gregorio came from – I was working with a friend, and his name's Byron. And um, he has these be- – he had this beautiful, long, black Jon Snow hair, you know, and he's just – swarthy and I was just like oh but he's so hilarious when he would do this just this stupid routine and I was like well there's Gregorio and um I just you know I just went from there and uh the dad had to be the dad I think I took that a lot from from my own father and the fact that everything else came before the family Mm -hmm. (laughs) just because he was a workaholic Mm -hmm. you know so I think that I think it was just a lot of me pulling from observations and people that I've known in my past so you were trying to write a train wreck when you did this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was, oh, I was, yeah, I was, end result was it had to be complete carnage. Yeah, and it <laughs> is. Job. So in, in this script, because uh, unfortunately it, it's uh, it's such an ensemble piece, we've been trying to work out the logistics of being able to do a scene read, uh, and it's just, I, I just think with the with the man and woman power that we have here that it's, I don't think it, I don't think it's going to be able to happen. So, and I and, and that's a shame because I like being able to bring people the actual words that that you and other writers we've had on have written, and it's a it's a shame we're not going to be able to do that. So that being said, go on to scriptshopshow.com/scripts and read the governor's ball right now. You could pause the podcast, go read the script, and come back to it because we're going to start uh, speaking a little more generally in terms of plot and characters and and things that are things that are going on in this wild script that Marty sent us. <laughs> So in the yeah, governor's ball, yeah, 
So in the governor's ball, it's this family, the Gentry family, and the father, David, is the uh, uh, he's the governor of a, a given state, and it's him and his wife. They're two adult children, Bradley and Amanda, uh, and then Bradley is there to announce his engagement to Isabel, who's also there. Amanda is there, and uh, as we sort of have hinted, she is a bit uh, she's a bit of a spark plug. If the, maybe the nice way of saying that right now. Uh, and then there's also uh, Gregorio, who's like sort of this new uh, attendant in the home that both Starla and Amanda spend a lot of time making goo-goo eyes at. Yeah, gross. And <laughs> then Stephen, who is an assistant to uh, Governor Gentry, uh, is coming by to present information. Hey, you got to make a call. It's campaign season. Uh, and it's just this dinner that just slowly proceeds to have everybody screaming and yelling at each other. An actual fire breaks out. Uh, it, 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 it builds and builds and builds, and then it just completely all falls apart. Right. I feel like my work is done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. So in terms of building the train wreck, how did you decide to make, um, you know, the Amanda character, the black sheep of the family, and what kind of history did you give her for all of them to deal with? Yeah, because these feel like very well to, like, there's, right, I there's feel like history. there's backstory here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a relationship between them, and we don't really get m- much of the past in this mm-hmm. bit. We see everything colliding together. So I'm just curious as to, you know, the dynamic of her versus her and her brother. And then, you, you know, sure. like, is this a, a is this family been political for a long time? Is this kind of a new thing for them or not new? Would, but... They've definitely been political for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is what these kids have grown up with. And um, um, Bradley, he's the firstborn, obviously, because he's older. Um so he's been sort of like the star child. And then she came along, uh, Amanda, I mean, has come along. Um, and she's just basically for the pictures because, you know, the all-American family has the boy and the girl and the dog and, yeah. you know, all of that. And um, for Amanda, she's just been in a shadow all her life. And when it, that's one of the things she's just like, can you pencil in some time for me? That's ba- basically her entire life story. So she's acting out and it's like, can somebody please reel me back in, please? I'm, I'm just doing this for attention. She knows it. Everybody knows it. Yeah. It's just that she's being ignored because there's bigger and better things. And that is to win a campaign. Mm. Yeah, she is. She is desperate for any kind of attention and gets so frustrated when dad starts getting a call from a donor or Bradley starts asking about this engagement, which is another legitimate thing that he's bringing to the table, too. But it just everybody's just constantly at loggerheads with each other the not whole time. Really paying attention. I mean, they are paying attention, but it's like they're not listening. Right. Nobody's listening. It's all to their each own other. ends. Yeah. Right. They're completely self-absorbed. Yes. And, and I feel like you've, you've really crafted some very specific I, – I, I think on some level you're dealing with a bit of an archetypal thing in terms of these, you know, the rebellious daughter, the son that can't make a decision, the dad that's too consumed with work, mom who drinks too much wine. But it, I feel like there's such specificity to these characters, too, that, it, that, that that's why it feels like they've all got backstory and that we could this could be a, a scene in a much larger story. Right. Yeah. It could be. I could write a feature off of them. <laughs> Yeah. I, I could write a feature easy off of them. Yeah, I um, whenever I come to the table to to write a short, even just a short film like this, I um, I do I, I keep a journal and I'll st- I'll start with writing their names at the top of the journals and then I'll or not the journal the pages, and I will start listing like their favorite foods or their backstories or their best and worst memories. So I get to sort of meet these people. So they do have backstories that I've already concocted and everything. Wow. I like the idea of writing their best and worst memories. Mm-hmm. How powerful is that? Yeah. You know, I feel yeah. like if you even ask that of a person, it would it could be hard information to get out of them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a great way that I find that I can meet my characters and find out these little nuances. If I just sort of, uh, sometimes I'll just sit down and just start writing and not think. And I'll just be like, uh, like dear Marty, like if this was Amanda, I'll write it as Amanda, dear Marty, I want you to know. And I'll just start listing things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, I love avocados, but I hate black olives. And I love the little mermaid and I'm okay with whoever they pick, you know, or something like that, you know? And mm-hmm. so I, and, and I go through this list and then I'll go through and I'll highlight the things that I was like, Oh, well, that's really cool. I didn't know that that's a cool thing, you know, and um, it just helps me make them more three dimensional rather than just somebody that you're reading about on a page. Mm-hmm. Which then gives you, you know, if, if this were to ever be, you know, produced or whatever, having that kind of information is just more ammo for a, a given actor to be able to work with. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whenever I direct, I always give the actors um, a packet of information and it's um, they're, uh, it's, it's stuff about their childhood, where they went to school. It's their job. It's um, um, like I did uh, this movie called Stolen, and I gave um, the lady Carla Christina Con- Carla Christina Contreras. She's one of my closest friends. She's gonna kill me for getting her name wrong. <laughs> um, I gave her the actual um, law enforcement guide to finding missing children, so she could go through that. And I, I always believe in that because. I, I also acted growing up too, so I know that that's that's helpful. Yeah. So I try to do whatever I can to make okay. sure that this everybody's well rounded and everybody can grasp the vision, and of course they can add their own thing to it as well, as they just inherently will. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too because having four self-absorbed family members plus a, a shallow, and I would mm-hmm. also say self-absorbed fiance. There's mm-hmm. not really a protagonist right. in this story, is there? I mean, I think it's just, they're just, it's their own unraveling. You yeah. know, it's just the fact that they are who they are. And that's that, that each person is their own worst enemy. If you look at this group of people, you know, considering them as a family and looking at them as one unit, this unit of the family sort of is the protagonist in that they're, this, this is, it's a person having a breakdown. It's a person that's stressed out, drinks too much, uh, is too obsessed with work, doesn't do enough things for themselves on a healthy level personally, and this is the moment when they have some kind of breakdown. Yeah. 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 It's definitely, yeah. It's been building for a while. <laughs> When you're when you're writing a script like this, because this is such an ensemble piece, and part of the reason we were talking about how we really aren't able to do a read from it is because there's no sort of maybe side moments where there's just a couple characters talking to each other. It's everybody sort of in it all the time. When you're creating a script like this and building this story, how do you juggle this many different personalities and voices and making sure everybody gets their due? Because I feel like it's spread out really evenly in yeah. the script. Yeah, I um. Well, with a, with a short film, I usually try to keep it to one room because it's just easier to contain people. I think if I start jumping around a little bit too, I mean, I can, I can do things with other scenes and everything, but for this, it, it just didn't make any sense because I wanted everything just, it was a slow burn to the very end. You know, it's just like everything just keeps adding kindling to it and kindling to it. Um, for, for, for everybody to come in like that, like you were talking about, I just sat down and I started writing the dialogue and um, I would go back and be like, okay, well, Amanda would never keep quiet through this, Mm -hmm. you know, and Isabel is, is observing this and now she's going to lean over and go sign the prenup. You know, this is insane, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's just part, part of just living that out. I, and I, I really, I wish I had a better a better answer for you. I mean, I grew up, my parents like to watch like mash. So I grew up on that. So timing is like, 
I, I, I really understand it. If that makes any sense. Like I, I know how to make things fast and quick and, and everything has to, it has to be like rapid fire. So people are just, you're almost just like, Oh my God, what else can happen? Holy crap. You know? Mm-hmm. So, but, but for, for them, I would go through and I would, um, I keep like a, a post, uh, a post-it note and I'll have their names all around. And so if I'll, I'll be like, okay, on this page, so-and-so has said this so many times and, um, so-and-so hasn't said anything. So I'm going to go back and say, well, do I need to do anything? And sometimes I don't need to have them say anything. I just need to have them do something, you know, like, um, Starla, um, after, after David turns around and he swaps out her wine for water, she says something. And then when nobody's looking, she swaps the water back, the the wine back with water, you know, just stuff like that. Just to, can it, helps better with the exposition, I think, than, than words sometimes. Oh, yeah. 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 I feel like there's also a theme in this script of, and I, I feel like I've kind of been noticing it maybe more in, in stories and it, it's maybe what's going on, maybe a little more current eventy sort of thing, but this idea of giving your kids a better life than you had and having it be not healthy for them as uh, giving your kids a better life than what you had and having it be a negative thing. I feel like yeah. these kids have grown up in a very wealthy family, a very, very powerful family, very privileged, and they don't seem to be that great. And I, I'm just curious if that's a theme that you were uh, purposely looking to weave into this. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a theme that I've entertained. Um, for me, I think I generally go towards more of the um, look at me. I'm trying to tell you something mm-hmm. type vein and I think all of them, in a way, are trying to do that because, you know, oh, obviously Amanda is the most vocal one. But then you've got Bradley, who's like, I don't know how to make a decision without my parents. Mm-hmm. And then you have Starla, who is, I'm drinking because I'm really just, I hate my life. I mean, I'm glad my children are here, you know, but I'm obviously not being attended to or I wouldn't be seeking things elsewhere. You know, so that was really the vein I was going for. With the, you know, everybody needs to pay attention to me. Even David is like, what is this is going on in my house? And I had absolutely no idea. And then you have Stephen who is like, hey, take the phone call. You need to take this phone call right now. It's your it's your donor. And then you have Gregorio who's just covering his ears. I don't see anything, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So that was really the the theme of that that I was um, that I really sort of hung on to. I'm really big on identity and um, feeling value of, of the person. And so I think for me, the best way was to sort of strip these things that make you, you away from you for, um, for Bradley, it was, um, it's his, basically his, his dominance as a male. I mean, he's like, I, I, I don't know how to make a decision. And that's the first time Isabel has ever seen this out of him. Because, you know, it's usually he's got so much money, he can just do whatever he wants. Well, now he has to make a decision and he can't without mommy and daddy, you know, going, you know, telling him what to do. And she sees that. And that's not something that she is, you know, attracted to at all. Yeah. And this is her first time meeting the family. So that makes sense that she's been seeing him in this one way. And now the gear is completely shifted. Right, right. And she also turns out to, um, you know, she's she thinks she's only heard about Amanda, too, from Bradley. This is her first time meeting Amanda. And Amanda's the most honest one of the whole group. And at the end, she's just like, oh, my God, this kid's right. You know, you know, I want to ask, too, um, this whole like, look at me, look at me trying to get the attention. I, Mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned just a little bit that your dad was a workaholic as well. And I just wonder if you ever felt like you needed to achieve 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 so that you would have more relationship with him 
I mean, I, I definitely do draw from that sometimes, but I, um, even when I would do very well at things, I would always get nitpicked on the things that weren't done. So I sort of gave up on that a while yeah. ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm just like, well, nothing I do is going to make you happy. So I'm going to make me happy. Yeah. I hear and, that. um, with that, he was also, um, my dad was also like a, a fizzler, if that makes any sense. Like he was very, very creative, but it was right when he would get to the point of something that could actually change his life, he would get scared and not take that step. Yeah. So I learned from that to basically just run and jump off the cliff. You mm-hmm. know, I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do it either. I'm going to, I'm going to live my life and I'm, I'm going to take the risks. And if, if I mess up, then you know what? I can say I tried. Mm-hmm. I, it's my life and I'm going to do it. So that's really what I've taken away from it. But definitely I will say I, I can, um, Draw be empathetic with people yeah. who have that look at me I'm I'm over here type thing so yeah you know I did yeah. I did definitely draw from some of that do, do you have siblings I do not mm-hmm. I'm an only child okay. okay so yeah that's a that's probably another thing because I would be forced to sit into these meetings and just listen and I could always, I could hang and talk with adults like at eight years old, you know, and actually carry on adult conversations and people are like, oh, well, she's too little. And that would always make me mad, you know, about things like, oh, well, I would be like, I could do this. And they're like, no, no, we need somebody else. But I'm like, I know how to write this. I know how to do these reports. I know, no, no, you're too little. So that would always tick me off. So I guess that was just something that would just be fuel to my fire and wanting to, I don't, I don't think I'm a people pleaser. I'm just, I'm just like a challenge accepted kind of person. You I know? Mean, and it sounds I, cute, especially thinking of like a little eight year old in a meeting being like, I love it. Actually, <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> no, what the holes true. are here. I would, like, I would be like, I can take the notes when the secretary wasn't there. Oh, Marty. No. And I'm like, I can type the notes. No, Marty, <laughs> it's fine. You know? And then I would type the notes and they'd be like, Oh, thanks, Diane. Cause she's the secretary. And then she would be like, I can't tell him you did it for me. <laughs> Come on, Diane. Diane, yeah. give it the program. Diane didn't right. want to lose her job. <laughs> That's right. the thing. It's not like child labor. I did it as a prezi. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fun. Um, yeah, right? Wow. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Yeah, because this, I mean, it just sounds like you currently are the culmination of everything you have been, yes. are currently, and will become, you know? You're the most holistic guest we've ever had on Honestly, the show. Honestly, I mean, seriously, in terms of the resume and, and the variety of things you've done and this, like, sort of active take charge, I'm doing this thing because I'm doing this thing sort of vibe. But, Marty, that, that's extremely cool. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. My next thing is I will be directing features soon, so get ready. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> We're on well, you know, so you have a feature coming up, but this particular short, do you have production plans for it? Or is it something that you've kind of exercised in your mind and have written, but you're just letting sit for a bit? No, I wrote it. And then I thought, I, I thought I would sort of shop it around, but then I, I got the gigs out in Atlanta. So it's sort of just been sitting dormant. Like if somebody wants to purchase it or option it, I will definitely entertain that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would actually love to see this. Mm-hmm. How long ago did you write this screenplay? Um, I think two years ago, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Something like that. That sounds about right. Maybe 18 months. Do you think political stuff is just more relevant now? I Big mean... open-ended question. I mean, I, I, think, I think politics is always going to be relevant. But I personally 
if 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 you're not like making fun of it, I just really don't want to hear it because I'm like <laughs> often I'm like this is ugh, I just want to break. You know, that's me though. Yeah. So I guess maybe for me with all the things that were happening politically at the time, I was just like, you know, this would really be funny if I could just watch this, just be a fly on a wall and just watch all hell break loose. You yeah. know? So I guess maybe, maybe that's what it was. I'm, I'm not sure. So. Yeah. I was taking notes about as far as, because I started thinking about, you know, the, the, the politics angle of it. And really it's not an overtly political piece other than right. the fact that the father is in politics as an elected official, but that's kind of it. You're not really leaning any way, one way or the other in it. And it was, I started thinking about, just how political dystopian sort of stories are I mean they have they've been popular for a long time there's been you know Fahrenheit 451 and Animal Farm and I just started writing down stuff V for Vendetta and then House of Cards of course Handmaid's Tale is huge yeah. right now it's it's that's just it's such a very popular Veep yeah <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> all kinds yeah. of different takes of it yeah yeah sure. I agree <laughs> and you were working on the circus, which was, I mean, that was, I think that was a pre-2016 election sort of HBO documentary about, and they, they called it the circus for a very specific reason. That was a wild time. Oh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I only did one episode. It was when they had come to Nashville, but I mean, it was, it was so crazy. It was just so crazy. We were schlepping gear all over the place and running and, um, um, Homeland Security hadn't gotten, um, my my credentials back so at one point they were like here you're gonna have to drive around the block for six hours while we're in here and I'm like are you gonna need me for six hours and they were like no and I'm like okay so I went and I watched a movie yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> what are you gonna do I had nothing else to do yeah yeah how are you gonna drive around a block for six hours uh, in downtown Nashville with 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 political stuff and Police everywhere? No, there's just no way. Yeah, <laughs> On a normal just, day, without all that stuff, that still sounds terrible. That's still a lot, yeah. It is, it, it is, especially since they have these stupid scooter bird things or something now. There's no way. You would have hit someone. Those are everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, they're insane. Marty, if somebody heard this interview and they want to get in touch with you about this script or uh, any of your other work, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can email me at martywrites at gmail.com, and it's M A R T I. W-R-I-T-E-S at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter and it's at screenwriter chick, but it's, there's no E's in screen. So it's S-C-R-N-W-R-I-T-E-R-C-H-I-C. No K. Okay. Screenwriter chic then. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. if, if it gets me an agent, yes. If yeah. the handle fits. Let's do that. Marty, thank you so much for sending us your work, and thanks for coming on the show and talk with us, uh, talking with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for reading it. It gives me a good pat on the back. I appreciate it, and I yeah. love your show. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a fun script to read. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, there's Marty. That was fun. That was fun. What a cool lady. Just, we don't always know what we're getting, you know? No, we don't. And having uh, a lady who's that accomplished and who's still actively doing stuff, I don't even like saying things in the past tense because she's in the midst she's of She's got still... a feature coming up, yeah. got a feature coming up. That's extremely cool. We're very, that we're, the, we're, we're lucky to do this show. Yeah, yeah. And again, talk to people about all the cool, crazy stories they have, whether it's, 
driving around a block for six hours or like taking notes as an eight-year-old in your dad's <laughs> meeting. Right. Fun. She's in the world. <laughs> Super cool. Uh, if you've taken notes and written them into some kind of script or if you're in the world and you've written things down with a, a bit of overheard dialogue or just a, a story you want to tell and you've written it into a screenplay, you should send it to us. And you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. If you're looking to connect with us or some of the artists that we have on the show, we try to get everything all posted up online, but you can always check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Script Shop show we post fun videos every wednesday announcing the show you see a lot of uh jack you see a lot of me and sometimes you see baby olive yeah so that's always fun yeah who doesn't want to see that baby run up the the view count on a given video (laughs) that's blowing my views right out of the water jack is so jealous because every time i put olive in a video the oh, obviously she destroys the me. views go up yeah which makes a lot of sense I'm she's getting, funny i'm getting destroyed by a baby <laughs> you're welcome it's great <laughs> it's about time though how uh, old are you jackie oh god we want grandchildren jackie oh god that was your mom oh god <laughs> uh also please if uh you want to come to a really cool film festival Ooh, yes this independent it. film festival come to cincinnati august 29th 30th and 31st you are for sure going to see me jack and frank jack yes. and frank are both going to be running the live screenplay reads we have during the festival where our accepted writers will have their screenplays Read live at No Theater of Cincinnati. The whole event takes place at the Woodward Theater. I'll be there. My child will be there. My family will be there. And all of our friends are going to be there. So come meet filmmakers, watch incredible films, and celebrate all that is to celebrate in Cincinnati. Meet other people. Go out. Have a good time. It's going to be three days of just a ton of fun of movies and going out and music and hanging out. and uh, if it- Lights, camera. Action. People. If it's anything like it was last year, it's going to blow the doors off Cincinnati. So please come to Cincinnati August 29th, 30th, and 31st for this independent film festival. That's right. Friends, thank you so much for taking this time to be with us and talk about these stories. Until next time, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Show, 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 show